a march is planned in support of an Oklahoma death row inmate. Julius Jones is in prison for the 1999 murder of Edmond resident Paul Howell. But Jones maintains his innocence, and the efforts to overturn his conviction has gotten national attention. An innocent man can be executed by the state of Oklahoma. But we have the power to save him. Remember the name Julius Jones. These documents show evidence of Jones's guilt, according to the attorney general. Now, he says he met with the family of Paul Howe last week. He says he hopes to be their advocate. I'm here in an, in an effort to make sure the public has the whole story, uh, not just stuff that's convenient to fit a narrative. Convicted of murdering Edmund businessman Paul Howe in 1999, Julius Jones has spent the last 22 years on death row. But his case has drawn increased attention from advocates who say he was wrongly convicted, while the state's top law enforcement official maintains the evidence strongly points to Jones. Jones has applied for commutation with the State Pardon and Parole Board, which is scheduled to hear his case on March 8th, the beginning of a multi-stage process. Jones's attorneys plan to point to a recent revelation from an Arkansas inmate that another person confessed to killing Howe. The Frontier's editor-in-chief, Dylan Goforth, has reported on Jones's case and recently wrote about the possible confession. I'm Ben Felder, and on this episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with Dylan about his reporting, the increased attention Jones's case has received, and what to expect as Jones goes before the State Pardon and Parole Board. So Dylan, you know, before we talk about what to expect uh, at the Pardon and Parole Board meeting and your recent, uh, you know, story on a possible confession from another another inmate, um, give us a quick recap on the Julius Jones case and, and how we got here. Uh, yeah, it's funny. We, I was talking with, about this with someone the other day that uh, it's become such like a, a important case, like an overall context of not just like, you know, his innocence or guilt but just the death penalty in general that the specifics of like the actual like crime that happened uh in the case itself people you know sort of it's been over two decades so people sort of you know have moved beyond like the what actually happened how they got here to like what's coming next but yeah he it was a case back in the 90s and edmund uh businessman named paul howell was um had taken his daughter shopping and had and pulled up to the house uh, and uh, he was shot in the head uh, in front of his daughters. You know, they, they described it as happening like so quick that they didn't even, people didn't realize that they were even being carjacked. Um, so he was shot in the head and killed and, and his vehicle was stolen. Um, it, it, two men were arrested, uh, Julius Jones and then Christopher Jordan. Jordan ended up testifying against Julius Jones at trial saying that, uh, it was uh, that he, that Jones had confessed to him and that he was the one who had actually killed. It was a basically a carjacking gone wrong and that he was the one who had killed uh, Paul Howell. And um, Julius Jones ended up getting the death penalty. 
and Christopher Jordan got uh, a lighter sentence. I mean, he he ended up being paroled, I think, after 13 or 14 years. So he's technically still serving his sentence, but he's been out of prison since 2014. And, uh, and, and since then, you know, Jones has maintained that he was innocent. His family has maintained that he was there with them, which is that's also been sort of a controversial uh, subject, uh, you know, for, I think, for both sides. But I mean, his, his family's maintained that he was with them at that time. He was innocent. He said he was innocent. Um, and recently, it's gotten more, I mean, there's been more of a focus na nationally on death penalty cases, but also in Oklahoma on overturning um, some murder cases uh, in, in particularly in Tulsa. And so it's kind of caught the attention of a lot of people, uh, athletes with Oklahoma ties, Kim Kardashian, you know, has talked to Donald Trump specifically about <laughs> Jewish Jones and has been involved in it. So it's kind of had a very wide reach um, of people who are interested in his case. There was a documentary done uh, that uh, alleged, you know, some, you know, wrongdoing or, you know, sort of malpractice uh, from the police and from prosecutors. And so that has also, obviously, there's a big you know, interest in true crime documentaries that, and that has swayed a lot of people. So there's a lot of interest in his case. And, and, um, but as for Jones, this is his last chance, really. He, uh, his appeals have all run out. There's no way to get him back into court to have a judge look at it. I mean, this is his last, you know, commutation is his last, his last shot. And so there's a lot on the line, you know, Monday. Yeah. And, you know, you know, when this happened in the nineties and, you know, I wasn't living in Oklahoma, nor was I a journalist at the time I was in high school. But it had kind of the recipes for for a big story, right? I mean, this was a a, a white businessman from an affluent community. The uh, the suspect was a black man. Even twenty years later, that's the kind of story that gets a lot of play on you know local evening news, and and so it kind of had this racial dynamic as well. And and that's been one of the arguments that that Jones' side has made is that he didn't get a fair trial because of um, some you know e either a know a racist system or specific acts of racism you know maybe among the jury and prosecutors um, but you know Jones's name is one that I heard a lot this past year at a lot of the uh, you know protests and rallies that we saw across the nation in the wake of the George Floyd killing uh, you know many of the demonstrations here in Oklahoma City uh, Julius Jones was a name that was was spoken a lot and a lot of signs had his name on it and a lot of people spoke about this case so it, it has grown in attention because of, you know, celebrities and the documentary, but it also is kind of this past year increased in attention, I think, as more and more people are trying to take a look at some of the um, racial inequities in the, in the justice system. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting this summer, uh, you know, as well, because we saw we were covering the, the protests here in Tulsa and, you know, the same thing we would see, I would see his name on you know, hashtag free Julius on signs or even banners that people had created that had his name or his picture on them. And I, you know, people really do view it, uh, or some people really do view it as another, you know, like example of, like you said, of a of racial inequities in the criminal justice system of, uh, you know, one thing that, that I, is interesting to me, and I talked to uh, the attorney general about this um, late last year, was that, there are people who who believe Julius Jones is innocent, and it's, he's become a, a, a very um, 
you know, sort of important figure in that criminal justice reform movement. And just the idea of like understanding that things happen in, the, in Oklahoma's criminal justice system that are unfair or are not equal. Um, but his case is also very important to people who are anti-death penalty. Um, and I think there's an interesting, you know, you don't have to necessarily believe that Julius Jones is innocent to have a lot of interest in his case, mm -hmm. because you may feel maybe he did it, or maybe he didn't do it, you know, I don't know, but should he, should he be executed? Should, should we do, you know, executions at all in Oklahoma? And, and so it has that sort of double, you know, layer of also bringing in that group of, of people who are interested in his case. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's all led to, I mean, if you think about it, it has all led to, you know, this next week in this commutation hearing and, um, it, you know, decades of legal challenges and protests and it, it all, you know, kind of comes to this. It's going to be really, it's really a big day for, I think, for the pardon and parole board and for their future uh, and, and sort of actions that they'll take in the future. Uh, it's a big day for criminal justice reform advocates, people interested in the death penalty. I mean, there's going to be a lot of eyes on what happens on Monday. Yeah. And if, you know, if you watch that documentary that aired, uh, you know, nationally that brought a lot of attention to this case. I mean, of course, they're making the argument that he is innocent. And so that does raise questions. If you watch it, you probably walk away, you know, with some some questions about uh, the accuracy of his guilt. You know, but you refer to and we'll talk about one of the things that his attorneys are going to point to in your recent story. But you, you were you mentioned talking to the attorney general, uh, you know, Mike Hunter, who has, you know, maintained that the evidence points to Jones's guilt. Uh, he held a press conference last year. Uh, you know, kind of going through some of the questions raised, you know, in this documentary and by others and, and, and pointing to the evidence that was used to convict Jones. Um, you know, so uh, Attorney General Mike Hunter and, and you know, the David Prater, the district attorney of Oklahoma County, um, who wasn't the DA at the time, but is, is now in the county where, where Jones was, was convicted. Um, you know, they continue to maintain that, hey, he got a fair trial. He was, he, he is guilty. And, and, you know, that, that there are there's there's a victim in this and, and that justice needs to be served yeah i i uh i did i talked to mike hunter about about that um last fall and about the you know the howell family who has they're in a tough spot i mean i think about them all the time because they you know it's kind of a common uh topic when you're you talk about death penalty cases because these guys they end up you know, guilty or innocent, they end up going through appeal after appeal after appeal, they become sort of like um, political figures almost to people. I mean, I think back to the Richard Glossop, you know, when they tried to execute him and you had people who were like, I mean, they were, you would see them and they would act like they were Richard Glossop fans and um, wanting to know more about Richard Glossop. He became this very important political figure and you think, well, there's a family who, you know, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's innocent, I don't know, but there's a family who lost someone. And, um, and every time there's an appeal or every time there's a, you know, people lining up um, outside of a courthouse, you know, to cheer for his innocence. I mean, that family gets dragged through this process again, you know, which is completely unfair to them, uh, you know, just part of the way this cycle works. But I mean, with Julius Jones and the Howe family, it's the same way. He's, became so, he's become such an important figure to so many people that they have had to relive, you know, probably what happened constantly over the, over the last 20 years. And, um, 
you know, they are very uh, quiet uh, people. I've, I, you know, I've multiple times have tried to reach them or uh, have tried to reach them through the attorney general's office because they talk to them, you know, relatively often. And they have said that they are not comfortable speaking publicly about it for one reason that there is so much support behind behind Julius Jones. And they feel like, hey, if we come out and, and if we were to say, hey, we think he's guilty and he needs to be punished, then they become the enemy. And I mean, that's something that families in that position, um, I think they find themselves in a lot, particularly with death penalty cases that, you know, go through so many appeals over the years. And so, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's tough. You want, you know, they are a part of this story too. And, um, you know, through no, you know, fault of their own. I mean, they, but they are sort of inextricably tied to the Julius Jones story. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, I just, I feel for them. I think that's gotta be tough, you know, to, to have to go through this so often. And they are, I mean, I imagine waiting on Monday's results as much as anyone else is. I mean, just for the sort of, you know, it's either an open wound or it's a sense of closure or something, but uh, I, you know, they're like everyone else. They want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, walk us through your your recent story on, um, you know, one thing that Jones aside is is pointing to um, in, in claiming his innocence is that uh, you, you mentioned him already. That, but uh, you know, Christopher Jordan that was with Jones who who testified against him, um, an Arkansas inmate claims that Jordan has confessed to the to the murder. Yeah, so the thing about Christopher Jordan is that he has, Jones's defense has always said that the description of the shooter, you know, the shooter was described having a bandana and a stocking cap on, basically only showing his eyes, you know, I mean, that's how they was described. They have maintained that, that the description of the shooter has always more closely matched Jordan than it has matched Jones. And I guess you'd probably expect them to say that because they're co-defendants, but um, that has been sort of the theme that they have latched onto over the years. And so Jordan, like I said, he testified against Jones, got a reduced sentence and is out of prison. Um, there have been a few, a couple of inmates before this even who have said that in prison or maybe outside of prison, Jones has, has confessed, you know, to, to actually being the shooter. Uh, this most recent one is a guy in Arkansas, which I think Jones defense probably, they believe it lends him a little bit of uh, legitimacy because he's, they can't do anything to help him. You know, Oklahoma officials can't do anything to reduce this guy's sentence, but he said that he served time with um, Jordan in a prison facility called Brickies in like Northeast Arkansas back in 2009, 2010. Um, Jordan, you know, he was obviously, he was convicted in Oklahoma, but in his, I found some paperwork that said that he, part of the plea deal that he cut to testify was that he would serve his sentence outside of Oklahoma because he had testified against a, a inmate who was going to be in Oklahoma. So um, this inmate in Arkansas, Roderick Wesley said that he worked with him at a commissary in 2010 and that, um, that one day in 2010, just he, he described it as it seeming like Jordan was feeling remorseful and sort of guilty about, about this, but he confessed to him, you know, they were talking, they're telling their stories, you know, why are you in prison? Why are you in prison? Saying that Jordan told him, hey, you know, I, I actually, I killed a guy in Oklahoma and um, they gave my co-defendant the death penalty and you know, they gave me a reduced sentence to testify against him. And I feel really bad about it, but at the same time, I also don't want to be on death row. So I've kept it secret this whole time. So um, 
you know, this was 2010. Obviously, it doesn't come out until I guess the first letter that this inmate that Wesley wrote to Jones Defense was last summer. So 10 years later, 10 years go by. But he said that he basically had chalked it up to just, you know, inmates confess to things all the time in prison and uh, there's nothing you can really do about it. But he actually got to see in prison the the last defense, the Julius Jones documentary, not knowing that this was who, you know, Jordan had been talking about, I guess, in prison. He sees on the screen a younger Christopher Jordan in, uh, you know, handcuffs in, in a prison jumpsuit or a jail jumpsuit walking to trial. And he said, oh, that's Christopher Jordan. So it catches his attention. He watches the whole documentary. And then he kind of described it as like he felt it had gone from a prison confession to something that was like tangible and real. And like he had, he, you know, you see in that documentary, Julius Jones family talk about sort of the effect that the conviction and, and the death sentence has had on them. And, you know, this guy says, I feel like he is innocent because Christopher Jordan confessed to me. I see his family crying in this documentary and I feel a very real sense of responsibility now that I can't sit on this information. I need to, to uh, tell someone. So he writes a letter to um, Julius Jones's attorneys last summer, like last July, because of COVID protocols, there's no, um, you know, meetings uh, in, in the Arkansas prison system. And so there's no visitation. They write letters back and forth, finally do a series of Zoom interviews where they, um, they discuss this back and forth and, and they finally get those done and everything uh, finalized with, with Wesley, all the interviews done, you know, just in time for the commutation hearing and the docket that Jones is gonna appear on. So it's sort of everything, like I said, coming together all at once right before, you know, the week before this commutation hearing. Um, and it's probably, I think, putting a lot of <laughs> pressure on the pardon and parole board, you know, that they are probably not so used to. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the pardon and parole board that that first hearing is going to be March eighth. What is the process? Because it's not this isn't going to be something that's going to be you know decided, uh, you know, on on March eighth. Right. So that's the other thing is that it can either you know end on March eighth and be over with, or it will carry on into the future. The commutation in in Oklahoma they really describe it as a two stage process, but it's really three stages if you consider the role the governor plays in it. And a stage one hearing is basically. Um, the pardon parole board, you know, it's five members, they will hear a bunch of these cases. And so they give them, you know, they do a little research, I'm sure beforehand, but each case gets four or five minutes, uh, where they do a brief jacket review has, you know, the guys, how has this person acted in, in prison? You know, has he been in, in trouble in prison? Um, what are some of the facts of this case? What are the innocence claims? What are the, you know, the victims, uh, family, can make uh, a case. The DA, like we've already seen David Prater has already written a letter to the pardon parole board this week about it. Um, he can make a claim, but they really only get five minutes and they decide at that point to either as a board to pass um, that inmate to stage two or to um, end it right there. And so they can, they could end Julius Jones's case and then it would be over with as far as I know. I don't, no one has described to me any other possibility um, for help for him outside of this uh, commutation hearing. And so if they end it there, then it's over. If they choose to pass it to stage two, then at a later date, they, it, they have the opportunity to do a more full-fledged, you know, sort of investigation into the innocence claim. So rather than just hearing, hey, we believe he's innocent, this is why um, they are able to do their own sort of investigation into the claims and determine how valid or invalid they think they are. 
um, at that point, they decide whether to whether to recommend the inmate for commutation or not. Um, and then they'll do that and send it to, if they do, they send it to the governor who then ha makes, has the ultimate call of whether to, to do it or not, or to what extent. I mean, that's the other thing. I think people tend to think commutation is a, is a, it is the end of a sentence, you know, someone's, their sentence is being commuted. So they're being let out and that's not, uh, you know, really true. I mean, what a commutation really is, is the substitution of a lighter sentence for one that was deemed that the board and the governor ultimately deemed to be too uh, harsh. So you can't get more harsh than the death penalty. So there is even the possibility that they do pass him all the way to the governor and the governor commutes a sentence to life without parole, which would be a lesser sentence than the death penalty, but would still mean 45 years in prison. And Jones would not even be halfway to his release date at that point. So, or at this point. Um, so that's what's going to happen on Monday is really, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it, but Jones is, I mean, it will take four or five minutes on Monday and then his part of this, you know, beginning process will be over. I mean, it's almost like guessing how a jury is going to, to decide, but I mean, is there any, do you have any indication or feeling on your end on, on, how, on what you think the partner parole board might do? I mean, there's part of me that wonders, you know, given the, the, the seriousness of this case, I mean, you would almost maybe want to go to that second stage, at least just to give yourself more time, but, uh, you know, maybe not. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's sort of how I think people tend to feel is that, you know, there's no harm in putting it to a, uh, sending it to stage two, because that just gives you a better chance to look at it. And you would think with all of the um, attention that this case has generated, that you would want to at least give it that additional time to look at, you know, I mean, it would be hard to, um, there'd be a lot of backlash, I think, if you ended it after stage one, but that's not really what I think you would, you don't want your partner parole board to be necessarily concerned with Kim Kardashian's opinion of them, you know, or Baker Mayfield's opinion of them. Um, but I think with the seriousness of the case and the attention on it nationally that um, many people do expect them to at least pass it to stage two because that's when the real investigation happens. I mean, right now it's his attorneys say one thing, the attorney general or the district attorney say another, it's a little bit of a back and forth, but that stage two is where they get to really do their own, take their own look at it. And so I think most people expect it to at least get to that point. You know, I wonder, you know, when we've seen this so much increased uh, attention and, you know, celebrities that have, uh, you know, joined the cause in defense of Jones, um, at the end of the day, you wonder how much pressure that really is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, someone like Baker Mayfield would have more sway in Oklahoma than Kim Kardashian. But, you know, when you take the governor, you know, for example, who has who would have the final decision, um, you know, I'm not sure the governor stit. Is he swayed by Common? Is he swayed by Kim Kardashian? Right. Um, I mean, he's and, and you know when you look at the the, the circles of you know the, the the demonstrators and protesters from the summer and others who have rallied in support of Jones, for the most part, they come from a different political circle, uh, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum than uh, a very conservative governor likes to. Yeah, it's in the. the it's an interesting role, I think, that that Stitt plays in this because, like you said, you have people who are in support of Jones, who you may think of as more progressive, and Stitt as more conservative, obviously. But he's also been, he, Stitt has also really supported one, 
an overhaul of the way the pardon and parole board operates, or at least like uses its authority. I mean, he, we've seen him, you know, tell them before, hey, you're the ones who can, you know, they did the prisoner release in 2019. And he said, you are the ones who could make this happen. Like, you know, you are, I want you guys to do this. Um, he's shown support for criminal justice reforms. I mean, that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean uh, commuting the sentence of a person on death row. That's a little, you know, more extreme than, you know, your typical criminal justice reform, but it does fall in, in that vein of, um, he talks about the prison populations. And, and so he's been a little more supportive of these causes than people might think that um, that he is. And so it, if, if it does reach his desk, um, you know, he'll be in an interesting uh, position because we've had, you know, the governor before him. One thing about Mary Fallon that I think people don't think about is that there was a time in her, um, you know, ter two terms as governor that she was very supportive early on of criminal justice reforms. And then she got criticized as being soft on crime and all that ended, all that went away. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what Stitt's response is if it reaches his desk, you know, how much he weighs um, that sort of public opinion versus his own opinion of, of right and wrong and what role he thinks um, the pardon parole board and, and he should play in the commutation of death row cases. And because um, executions have been put on hold, um, this theoretically could be, I mean, depending on how it shakes out, I, I you know, suppose there'll be some other uh, commutation request as well with other death row inmates, but this could potentially be the first time that uh, Stitt as governor is, is has to grapple with what, what, with what is mostly considered to be the hardest decision as a governor of ultimately approving or rejecting someone's, someone's death. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Jones is the first um, death row inmate to appear, you know, on the commutation docket. And so everyone's sort of in an unprecedented, unprecedented situation. I mean, the board itself, you know, it's like it, Monday's gonna be the first time they've ever heard a, a commutation request from a death row inmate. And then if they pass them to stage two, it becomes the first time someone's ever been a death row inmate's been to stage two. And if they send it to the governor, it's the first time he's ever, you know, a death row inmate's ever been to the governor's desk before. And so it, it's going to, it's unprecedented for everyone. And I think, you know, it's, it probably makes it more difficult to try and guess what's going to happen. The fact that it's never, uh, we've never gotten to this point before. And theoretically, you could have some members of the partner and parole board who are opposed to the death penalty, um, you know, and, and would they, would they vote, you know, to approve a commutation simply because they are, are against the death penalty, but that is not the governor. I mean, the governor has expressed support for the death penalty. So his decision right. won't be tied to an opposition to the death penalty. He has said that it is, in his opinion, a, a necessary form of punishment here in Oklahoma. Yeah, from his, I guess from his perspective, it will come down to if it were to reach his desk, um, you know, not even necessarily a case of um, is Jewish Jones innocent or not, but just is the death penalty appropriate in this case? I mean, that's one thing that I think about when I go back and read, you know, court filings and look back at his case was if this 1999 was a different time and um, if this were to happen today, would he receive the death penalty? I mean, I think uh, it would be a much harder sell today. Juries are a little more wary, I think, of the role of co-defendants testifying against other co-defendants. And it just, there's that seed of doubt, you know, um, that is somewhat easy to plant in a case like this. And I don't know, maybe it doesn't, you know, they don't even um, attempt to get the death penalty in, in, in a case like this today. And, you know, does that weigh on your mind when you're making the decision of, 
of, you know, do I just commute this to life uh, without parole? I mean, that would remove him from death row, but still, but not say he's innocent, you know, of this crime. Sure, I think he's guilty, but I don't think he deserves uh, execution. I don't think he deserves a death penalty. So there's a lot of options like that and um, a lot of stuff like that that the governor in that scenario would have to think about. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you for another episode next week.